0: Welcome to ADHD Crash Course, the podcast for those of us who feel we have a lot to learn about ADHD, and that includes me. I've been at this for a while, and I'm still learning new things. I'm an occupational therapist, a certified coach, a mom of more than one child with ADHD, and I have ADHD. So welcome to the Crash Course. We're in this together, and let's jump in. Welcome. Today we're going to tackle a complicated subject, but a really important one. How ADHD impacts our relationship with food and eating. Now this ends up being a topic that comes up all of the time. It comes up in the forums, the ADHD forums that I'm a part of. It comes up with my clients. It's come up for me personally. This is something that people don't really seem to be talking about, but it's absolutely an issue for people with ADHD that a lot of times people with ADHD struggle with their relationship with food. Now, there are studies, there's a Harvard study that um, demonstrated that people with ADHD were four times more likely than the non-ADHD group to have an eating disorder. There was another study that looked at a group of women and 11% of the women that were diagnosed with ADHD had a diagnosis of bulimia compared to only 1% of the group that did not. There is some information out there that's just measurable studies that is showing us this link. But even without that, when you speak to a large enough group of people with ADHD, this is, a, this is a common theme. And so what is it about the ADHD brain that might make us more vulnerable to having, I like to say, a, a less peaceful relationship with food? Because that, I think that gets to the heart of it and it includes people that may not think of themselves as included in an eating disorder um, group. But I think all of us want to have ease and peace with how we take care of ourselves. And that definitely includes food that comes up daily for most of us. So I have a few thoughts. I am not citing studies in the rest of this talk. So the information that I'm going to present is more information that I've seen working with clients in my own life, knowing what I know about the ADHD brain. I don't know as much as I would like to know, and hopefully I'm just going to keep learning more about this. But this that I'm bringing today is what I've gathered so far. (laughs) And I do believe for my ease, I've kind of classified these as reasons that are more body reasons, an ADHD brain, how it affects our body sense and reasons that it might be more thinking, cognitive um, reasons. And so the first part, I'm going to talk about body sense. And three different things that fall in that category of just the way our bodies are experiencing the world and how that can impact our relationship with eating. The first one is emotional regulation. And I've spoken about this before. I don't really feel like I can speak about this enough. This is a huge issue for people with ADHD. What is emotional regulation? It is our ability to be able to experience our emotions without being overwhelmed by them, by being able to kind of process emotions, respond to emotions, tolerate emotions without getting to the place where it's just too much to function. And I know for me, this has always been a huge factor of how ADHD shows up in my life. My sister, who has always been (laughs) a very generous, sweet person, I remember her describing Me as someone who burned bright, which I think was a very sweet way of saying I was really intense. And the thing about emotional regulation is it's not just I have really huge emotions with what we might classify as a negative emotion like sadness or anger, even joy or excitement can just be overwhelming for someone with ADHD that's dealing with emotional regulation. And so it makes sense to me that since adhd is a neurodevelopmental disorder this is showing up in childhood kids don't tend to have like an arsenal of tools to draw from to help them regulate we get more of this or have more access to this as we get older maybe but whether or not you have access or think of trying to tap into things to help you self-regulate One self-regulation tool that is out there for all of us, especially when you're young and you don't have access to a lot, is often food. And food can be a huge regulator. It's comforting. It also gives us a lot of sensory input. Later on, I'm going to be talking about sensory information and how our bodies deal with sensory information, which is also often impacted with ADHD. And the whole process of eating can be calming. This is, this is some rudimentary stuff. This goes back to infancy. It doesn't make us abnormal to find comfort in that. But obviously that as the only tool or the main tool for self-regulation for somebody who's often dysregulated makes the relationship with food kinda complicated. It's, it's not um, meant to be a primary tool. And so that makes total sense to me. Number one, emotional regulation. Another factor for those of us with ADHD is, I'm going to do these two things together, is interoception and body attunement. So interoception is impacted with ADHD. What is that? It's your body's registering and interpreting internal states. So things like your heart rate or your temperature hunger, satiety, this feedback isn't often reliable for people with ADHD. This is an area that is impacted. Now, body attunement, is something a little bit different, similar but different. Body attunement involves interoception. It involves these signals from our body, but it is how we are paying attention or tuning into those signals. So a lot of people with ADHD, these signals are already a little bit faulty or unreliable. And then you have attunement. Am I paying attention to the signals that my body is giving me and there are a few factors with the adhd brain that kind of puts this in jeopardy impulsivity uh, you know do we get this information and tune into it or we or do we do something else attention are we actually paying attention to these signals, which might sound strange to somebody who doesn't have a brain like this, but if you're somebody with ADHD and you are hyper-focused, your attention's super focused on something that you want to be focused on, it is not uncommon at all for somebody to forget to use the restroom, forget to drink, forget to eat, and then suddenly down the road, their body signal gets so extreme, they couldn't possibly ignore it. They feel sick. They might um, have really low energy because whether they miss the information in the first place, like interoception, or whether they just didn't tune into it, body attunement, the results kind of the same, they didn't respond to their body signals. And therefore, there are some consequences from that. And obviously, that has a pretty big impact on how we relate to food, how we relate to hunger. And especially I'm a big believer in intuitive eating, but this is an extra layer for people with ADHD that are trying to use that way of eating is that we have to adapt sometimes intuitive eating for our brains. And that's a whole process that I do with some of my clients is we're not necessarily starting at the same starting place as a lot of people who are practicing intuitive eating. We need some some little tweaks for some of the things that are going on with our brains. So number three, okay, number one was emotional regulation. Number two is interoception body attunement combo. Number three is sensory processing. Now, for those of you who don't know, I have an occupational therapy background. I have a lot of background in how different bodies deal with sensory information, people that can be extremely sensitive and overreactive to sensory information, people that can be underreactive and under registering sensory information. And both of these things impact our relationship with food. Obviously, if you are super defensive and sensory information is coming into your body like an assault, <laughs> then that's going to limit what you take in for food, what you're able to tolerate. What does that look like? Well, it depends. You know, for a lot of people, it means there are not a lot of textures and tastes and smells that they tolerate well. And so that impacts the their peace with food, you know, what it looks like specifically in terms of what they're consuming depends, but it definitely complicates their relationship with food. But then you have those who are under responsive. And when you're under responsive to sensory information, this complicates your relationship with eating in a different way. Of course, you satisfy physical hunger when you eat, but you also have kind of sensory input that you're receiving and processing that's a part of satisfaction with food, chewing, textures, swallowing, the feeling of fullness. So there's this idea that, and this is definitely, I think, some of our dietitians out there and, and people who are pros in this could talk about this a lot uh, more in depth than, than I can, but there's what you call a sensory specific satiety, which is a sensory specific um, satisfaction with eating. And so you get less, you get declining satisfaction the more you consume a certain type of food. If you're not getting all of that sensory information, it makes sense that you wouldn't really reach that point of satisfaction from that standpoint as early or be tuned into it. We don't just eat with the sense of taste you you see, hear, smell, touch food and and things that impact how that is experienced in our body complicates our relationship with food what that looks like is as varied as people are varied but I do think it's something to consider when you're looking at ADHD and peace and ease with food so I've just talked about three different areas of our body experience that impact our relationship with food and if you have ADHD and you know this is true for you're you probably like well so what? How am I supposed to to change this, to help myself with this? And there are several different techniques. I'm, I'm not going to go into everything. I don't have room in this podcast, but I am going to mention one that some of us from, with ADHD really kind of shy away from, which is mindfulness practices. And I I do feel like there's a collective cringe because if you have ADHD, you probably, like me, just have this impression that you're not good at mindfulness. Like I have always said I might be the least in the moment person that I know, truly. Like I'm almost always operating like three, four, five steps ahead. And the thought of just sitting there on like a meditation cushion and and being focused in the moment always just sounded like pure torture to me because I knew I would... I knew I'd be bad at it, right? Like it was not natural for me. And so a lot of the things that I do for myself and with my clients, it's mindfulness adjusted for our brains. You do not need to be still to be mindful. You do not need to be technically meditating to be focusing on the moment and focusing on your body. So I don't really have time. Um, I probably will eventually do an episode that's just about mindfulness and kind of ADHD mindfulness Practices, but one of the things that really can be helpful in connecting us with our bodies is this whole idea of mindfulness practices that's adapted for our brains. We can actually learn to do this. I promise if I can do this stuff, you guys can definitely do it. And we can do it in a way that fits us and we can experience more connection. This might still be an area that's impacted for you and is not like typical. It's not, it doesn't look like a typical brain. That's okay. We can get, we can improve. We can get more connection and more feedback about what's going on in our body and learn how to tolerate and be aware of some of this. So I'm going to move away now from these body experiences. I'm going to go to number four. Number four reason that ADHD brains, ADHD peeps um, experience kind of a complicated relationship with food is sleep. You guys, nobody wants to hear this. I I think a lot of us deal with impacted sleep with ADHD. We have difficulties going to sleep. We have difficulties falling asleep. A lot of times our sleep cycles are really different than what's the norm. And so sleep is a tricky area for us. I'm not going to go into all of that. But what I will say is sleep deprivation, which a lot of us deal with, impacts your relationship with food. There's the obvious, right, that if you are tired, exhausted, you don't have the kind of bandwidth for making decisions that are intentional that you have if you're well-rested. So there's that. But there's also hormonal differences that happen when we are sleep-deprived. There are a few hormones that regulate Um, your satisfaction, your hunger, and those go awry when you're not sleeping well. Your body produces more ghrelin. I had to look that up because it's actually an H between the G and the R for some reason, but it is ghrelin. It produces more of that hormone, which actually increases your appetite. Your body produces less leptin, which is a hormone that suppresses your appetite when you've had enough to eat and it produces more cortisol which is like your stress hormone which also increases your appetite this is no good this is no good for us being able to get into sync with what our body actually needs if we always have disrupted sleep kind of hijacking our hunger and satisfaction feelings so what's the answer Well, we control what we can control, and we can't necessarily control all the way ADHD impacts our sleep, but we can prioritize sleep. We can decide that it's important and do what's within our control. One of the things that I'm going to mention today, and I'm also going to give a complete disclaimer to say this is one of the hardest things for me that I am very frequently having to return to is signing off from screens, if you can do it an hour, 45 minutes before you're trying to gear down, is a great idea. For a couple reasons. A, it helps us shift into like a little more passive gear than just this really high stimulation of of whatever we're doing on a phone computer before bed. But the other factor is that the blue light that we're getting disrupts melatonin production, which impacts our sleep cycles. And so definitely, I I think blue light glasses can help with that. But for me, I've found there's just a difference in the kind of sleep that I'm going to get if I'm totally off devices for an hour or so before bed versus no. Like I said, This is super hard for me to do, probably the hardest thing in all the sleep stuff for me to do. Another thing that people tend to have success with is certain supplements that help you with sleep. So for me, magnesium is really important. A lot of us are deficient in magnesium and this is, I've always found helpful to supplement for, for sleep. Some people take melatonin because that can kind of support your sleep cycles. Obviously, if you're taking things like supplements, I'm not the person to (laughs) give you advice. You need to work with a doctor because... Only a doctor that you're working with knows what else is going on with your body, what medicines you're taking and how those all act together. But I definitely have had clients that have had success with that and and has worked for me as well and my kids as well. Also, I think that for me, I've noticed that having some kind of like calming sensory input usually helps me kind of downshift and be able to sleep better. Now, that just depends on what you like and what's calming. You could be a bath person. I tend to like to do stretching and myofascial massage. I have these really cool therapy balls that kind of, you can do self-massage, whatever it is, you can experiment with things that help you just kind of bring your nervous system down. Knowing this is always already going to be kind of a hard thing for a lot of ADHDers is to help you kind of gear down to sleep and prioritize sleep. Sorry, I have talked too long about sleep. We're moving on. So, the stuff that I've talked about so far has been a little bit more about how ADHD affects our body sense and, and sleep. But now we're going to shift over into brain talk, mind talk, thought talk. Obviously, ADHD impacts us in not just our bodies and in, in the way our brain operates as well. And so, We're gonna talk about some executive functioning skills. The first one I'm gonna mention, this is our number five reason that ADHD complicates relationships, our relationships with food, is that sometimes we struggle with an executive functioning skill called cognitive flexibility. Well, what does that mean? It means just what it sounds like the ability to look at things in more than one way. It's the opposite of rigidity. Sometimes that means we're able to solve a problem by attacking it at different angles without becoming totally frustrated. Or it could mean just that we're flexible in our thought. We can see that things can have some nuance that there are multiple ways to think about something. And very often when I'm talking to somebody who is really struggling having peace around food, whether they have ADHD or not, they often have really rigid thinking about their food, their bodies, all kinds of things. Having peace around food and how you're nourishing yourself requires flexibility because life requires flexibility you're not making food decisions in a vacuum and oftentimes that rigidity and requiring that someone only eats a certain way or is really strict about quantities or really strict about ingredients and, and it can really jam you up because once you get really rigid there's always a fallout in that. And I'm not talking about somebody that has to restrict for, for something specific like an allergy or even an intolerance. I'm talking about those rigid food rules that come along with Dieting and not being okay with our body and just trying to muscle down on changing our eating. When they are rigid and extreme, they almost always have a pendulum effect in our lives. And since with an ADHD brain, a lot of us already kind of lean towards being somewhat inflexible cognitively at times. I'm not saying it's everybody all the time, but this is a this is an issue that's often documented with ADHD. So we might be particularly vulnerable to the really rigid rules. trends that pop up around food. And that does not tend to give us peace around food. What it also does, and this is so true for people with ADHD about a lot of things, is it removes us from this place of authority in our own lives. We really second guess ourselves. We really lean on something that's super structured and super rigid to guide us instead of being able to trust our own bodies. And we've already talked about some of that's because we don't always get really reliable information from our bodies. But then you add on some of this cognitive inflexibility and it becomes a really challenging relationship with food. So what can we do about inflexibility this way, inflexibility cognitively? And I don't have time to do it justice at all. I will say that one of the things that was super helpful for me was cognitive behavioral therapy. And there are amazing specialists that can help you use those tools. There are definitely things online and access a lot of that. It's basically just a process of recognizing these thoughts and seeing when they crop up, these really rigid thoughts, and trying to bend them a little bit, trying to get flexible about them, and eventually replacing them with the thoughts that actually do serve you. It can be kind of an involved process. It's really a valuable process, and I think it's the kind of tool that you're gonna be able to use forever. So that is one of the things that I recommend kind of digging deep into on your own if you can, that that is a really good tool to use with some of that rigidity in thinking. Okay, number six that has to do with our ADHD brains that a lot of people find complicate their relationship with food is impulsivity. Very often with ADHD, you don't have the pause between impulse and action that a lot of typical brains might have. And a lot happens in that pause. Everybody has impulses, all the brains get impulses. The difference between a lot of our brains and other brains is that there's just a lot more pause. And in that pause is time. And it could be a very short pause, but it's time to consider like, okay, what's going on here? What are the likely outcomes if I do this thing Um what do I not want to happen? What do I want to happen? There's just space in there to make a decision. A lot of us don't have that space. So we go from impulse to reaction versus impulse, pause, assess, choose an action. And that pause can also be going backwards and looking at what happened before the impulse and saying, oh, is that how this person meant me to take that? What else could be going on that caused this thing that caused my impulse? It's just a moment for taking stock. And a lot of us are not... Doing that as regularly as other people, obviously that that impacts how you make decisions and it impacts our relationship with food and our relationship really with everything. So what can we do here? Well, this is kind of that combo of the mindfulness where we're just noticing, we're just noticing that you have the impulse, noticing what happened before and how you interpreted it and what's that, what that's causing in you. So mindfulness can be a big tool in starting to create more of a pause. And also CBT can be a tool in helping to go from that impulse that's very often triggered by a thought and looking at the thought that came before the impulse and saying, oh, how else can i think about this and obviously this is all is not all going to happen and be covered adequately in one like 30 minute podcast this is work this is work that's ongoing these are tools that you have to build and skills you have to develop but they are skills and tools that help manage what sometimes can be kind of a challenging relationship with food for us with eating for us Okay, the last thing I'm going to talk about, my number seven is another two-thing combo. It's RSD and diet culture. For those of you who are not familiar with RSD, it stands for rejection sensitivity dysphoria. And this is an experience that a lot of people with ADHD have in which they they have a really overwhelming experience of the perception of being rejected. Whether or not they are actually being rejected or has have received criticism isn't so much the question it is their internal experience of it and how derailing this can be for them and so obviously this seems to tie in pretty closely to the emotional regulation piece just not being able to handle what they perceive as rejection and that's a whole nother podcast on its own but that combined with another unfortunate factor which is diet culture which this might be where I lose some of you and that's okay because we're all in different places with this but diet culture is this kind of prevailing idea that only attractive bodies are are worthy bodies and only thin bodies are attractive bodies so this is pretty loaded right for a lot of us and this is so 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 prevalent in our culture that we don't even recognize all the ways it shows up so when you combine this really heightened feeling or experience of being rejected with some cultural factors that are going to kind of reject the majority of bodies you have a lot of added complication with your relationship with food and your body. Now, let me just say these, uh, the diet culture phenomenon impacts all people. And this um, is not something that's just primarily an ADHD thing. But combined, it it becomes kind of a one-two punch combined with the RSD. And so what do we do about these things? Well, we've already talked about the tools for emotional regulation and mindfulness, realizing what's happening with our bodies. We've talked about tools with CBT where we're actually taking rigid thoughts like the ones that are carried on with diet culture about only one thing being okay and good and valuable, right? We're taking these rigid thoughts and with CBT, we're helping dismantle them. And the final thing that's been really helpful for me, and some people are interested in doing this and some people are not, and that's okay. You are where you are. And I don't, I don't judge that. I can say this has been super helpful for me is really being aware and coming against diet culture. When I see it showing up in my life, I have three teenage daughters and I have noticed that they're growing up in a world that's a lot more accepting of different brains, different bodies, different skin colors. They're growing up in a world that's starting to kind of wake up to... That there's beauty and value in lots of different packages and so I do have a lot of hope when I hear them talk about something that for them is just a given and for me growing up in a really different time was something I kind of had to battle to believe and so there are a lot of good changes happening but if you're my age or you know a little older or even a little younger you might have to do some of that footwork on your own to reprogram the way you think about your own body the way you think about bodies around you and and so that brings us to the conclusion of this kind of intense episode. I had a lot <laughs> that I jammed in here and it's because this is an issue that's just really close to my heart and one that I really, really, really feel passionate about helping people with and getting information about this topic out because I feel like there's a lot of shame sometimes already with ADHD and for those who are dealing with the added shame of disordered eating or just lack of peace with their body and food. That this can also be shaming. And so there's this, this one-two shame punch that I feel like keeps people isolated and somehow just feeling like it's only them. And it's definitely not. You are not alone. This is something a lot of people with ADHD run into. And there are definitely ways that you can support yourself. There's things that you can learn that are gonna make this easier for you. And, and there is no reason to feel like you're alone or that this is something that you just have to accept and deal with on your own. Cause That's not true either. So that's it. I know today was kind of a heavy one, and it's this is just a really important message. I promise you I can be a lot more fun, but but not today. So thank you, thank you for joining me. Please pass this podcast along. I'm just getting started. So it really helps me if you can spread the word. Let people know about me. Let people know where to find me. You can connect with me on Instagram, the ADHD Clarity Coach, on Facebook under Clarity Coaching, and I also have a website that a lot of my blog articles and information resides, and that is theadhdclaritycoach.com connect with me out there, please like subscribe to the podcast. And hopefully I will be able to keep making them. Thank you so much for joining me and I will see you guys next time.